Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, it is Thanksgiving week, uh, and don't we have a lot to be thankful for? Uh, I was out of town uh, from Monday through Thursday afternoon, and I am thankful to have a good home to come back to. Uh, I'm thankful to be able to be with you this Sunday. I am thankful to be uh, privileged with uh, sharing with you from Sunday to Sunday during this uh, interim time. Uh, we have a lot for which to be thankful. Uh, I know you had a good Thanksgiving meal Wednesday, and that was one disappointment of mine. I sat there a couple of weeks ago and saw my little form to fill out. I said, man, this is going to be great. And about the time I put my name on it, I thought, I'm out of town that week. And so I didn't get to come. So I imagine y'all had a great time, and I would have just loved to have been with you, particularly rather than being where I was. There's not so much of a problem where I was. It was okay. But I would have rather been here. But I'm thankful to be here this, uh, this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse 11. While he, that's Jesus, was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. As they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. You ever read, you ever read a story of something, maybe just a short blurb of somebody that really did something intriguing? And uh, you just think, man, I'd like to know more about that person, you know? Uh, there's a little clip that comes up on one of my pages, home pages each week, uh, each day that shows sort of a, a special thing about a person's life. Usually I think it's that person's birthday. And about once a week I read that and I think, man, I'd like to know more about that person. And fortunately on that website there's a little place you can click more and you can find out more about the person. You know, sometimes when they do something intriguing, I just like, so I got interested in that person. You know, I wonder what their life was, was like. When were they born? What was their home life like? Uh, what else did they do? Uh, you know, I, I, I sort of think the same thing as I read this story about this Samaritan. Uh, I'd like to know more about him, you know. Now, we don't. The Bible doesn't tell us anymore. But I, I'd, I'd like to know, was he married? Did he have kids? You know, what did he do for a living? Uh, what had his life been like before this healing? What was it like afterward? The fact is, we don't know anything. We, we just know what the story tells us. But you know, the story tells us a lot. It, it tells us something about this man that we ought to all admire 
And we ought to admire him to the point we, we really give to him the greatest compliment you can give anybody. And that's the compliment of imitation, to imitate them. Uh, and so look at this man, this, the situation here. Uh, again, a lot I want to know about him, but I do know this. He had a thankful heart. And, and that is enough to tell us we need to be imitators of this man. Now, when we first see him, when he's for the very first verses that uh, uh, speak to us here in this passage, they don't tell us anything special about this man. In fact, he was one of 10 people uh, that had a, a common plague, a common problem uh, that they meet Jesus with. But then we find out something significantly different about this man. So I want you to, as we look at this passage, first of all, I want you to notice a common condition among these 10 people. Then I want us to notice a very noteworthy distinction between this man and the others. And then the text will show us an additional blessing that is received because of the uniqueness of this individual's response. So, folks, we're introduced here to 10, ten uh, uh, lepers. I, I, let's notice the common condition that they were in. Well, obviously the condition, first of all, is they were all lepers, <laughs> okay? Uh, that is a dreaded disease. That was a people that were, had that disease, uh, a phrase came to be applied to them. They were called living dead men. <laughs> Their bodies were just literally dying in places while they were still alive, living dead men. The, but the only thing they had to look forward to was dying. Okay? Uh, nothing in life, we're going to see they were separated, their, their prospect was just death. Uh, this disease was, uh, you know, we've just gone through COVID and, and man, is, we, we certainly lost some people in, in death. But folks, we're very thankful the vast, 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 vast majority of people who got COVID did not die. Okay? In fact, I think the vast majority of us that had it at times didn't even know we had it. But then there are diseases like AIDS that people have had. Uh, stage four cancer when a person finds out. What do they have to look forward to except for, for death? Just nothing to live for day to day. And that's the way these people were, their condition. And because of that, they were outcasts in their society. They couldn't be a part of the community in which they lived. As a matter of fact, it was required of these people by law that when somebody was coming to approach them, when they got anywhere close, they were required to shout out, unclean, unclean, to let these people know I'm diseased, and you're not supposed to come anywhere near. Folks, could you imagine living your life and not having anybody able to come near you? Could you imagine what that would be like? Well, that, that's, that's the situation that these people were in. Uh, they were outcasts from their communities. Because you know the joy, sometimes we don't think about being thankful for these kinds of things. Just to see somebody in the grocery store that we know and get to stop and speak to them. Just to speak to a neighbor over the fence. You know, the people that are in our community that, that we just share conversation with from time to time, these people don't have that. You know, a lot of us say, yeah, but I, I'll tell you, if that ever happened to me, I could, I could at least find uh, a great source of solace 
in my church community. Uh, no, these people didn't do that. They, they were actually excluded from the temple, the places that they had gone to worship the Lord on the, the Sabbath. They were not able to do that anymore. Uh, their families. Can you imagine not being able to go home to your family, uh, to your husband, your wife, your children? You couldn't see your, uh, your grandchildren? Uh, couldn't see your family? Folks, there was, and there was no place like a nursing home they could go where somebody at least could help take care of them. Uh, there was no uh, 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 places, you know, where we, we send our poor uh, cancer patients to die. Sometimes you have to do that. That's best for them. Uh, that has to be done. But there was nobody to take care of them. They had one thing to look forward to, and that was death. They're bound together. But folks, notice that uh, this. They were bound together. They were 10 men who could associate with each other. They were, they were all bound together with a common misfortune. Folks, when you have a common misfortune, it does tend to bind your hearts together. If you have a common enemy, if you have a common issue, then the people that you have that in common with, you all of a sudden find a very strong sense of community with, uh, with those people. We, we, we see this, well, look at this example. Here was a Samaritan. As far as we know, he was the only Samaritan among the group. Well, folks, you know the background of the Samaritans and the Jews. They didn't have anything to do with each other. But you know what? When they got leprosy, none of that really mattered anymore, did it? <laughs> yeah, they, they bound together as, as a group. Folks, you see this even in the animal kingdom. You know, animals that are hostile toward each other, that would normally be devouring one another, you know what happens in a forest fire? The last thing on their mind is I need to chew up and swallow one of these that I'm running along with to escape. There's a fire and they have a common enemy and the last thing on their mind is destroying the other one. We see that in all kinds of, of life situations. I, 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 I've never been in a war, I'm thankful I haven't, but I, I, I remember hearing, I, I've heard more than one people, person say, you know, when I, went, when I went into the Vietnam War, I was, you know, I was racially prejudiced and this kind of thing, and he said, I'll tell you what, when I got in the middle of a battle, and I found out we had some of our troops backing me up and that were giving me cover, I didn't care what color that person was. <laughs> I didn't care what their background, I didn't care what their race was. I deeply appreciated them. Now folks, it ought to be that way all the time. But the point is, a common enemy like that has a tendency to bind us together. Now let me make a statement here about the church, folks. <clears throat> the more hostile the environment is for us out there, and I hope I don't have to tell you, it's getting more hostile every week, the more hostile the issues are we are facing in our communities, the more you're going to see true Christians' hearts bound together. They're going to understand all the more the need and a desire for unity because of the common issues that are facing us. Well, that's what's happening with these people. They have these, leper, they're these lepers. They have a dreaded disease. They're outcasts. But they were bound together. But you know, they had something else in common that I just admire, and I just admire people like this. 
they just don't give up. <laughs> you know, the, the, there's none of these people that you just see, they just go, I'm just going to lie down and die. I mean, they, were, they had some kind of determination to live. I just love people like that, you know, that just even in the hardest times, you know, they may, they may die trying, but don't get they're going to die trying. They just are not going to give up. These people, not one of the ten at this point at least, had given up. There was something in their heart that was fanning the flames of hope. Something was driving them and keeping them going. Now, it could have been, again, the thoughts of their families. It could have been thought of that business that they had poured themselves into now that they were losing. I don't know what it was, but something gave them hope. Let me ask you something. When you get in a tight spot, where does your hope come from? What motivates you to keep going on? Because that'll tell you an awful lot about yourself, and it maybe tell us more about ourselves than we want to know. But what is it that motivates us to keep on keeping on? Even in the midst of difficult times, folks, what it ought to be is nothing other than the Lord himself. They had a measure of hope. You know, we just sang, in one of the lines, we just passed over it very quickly, that we just sang, it, it was hope springs eternal. These people somehow had some kind of hope that they were going to survive. They had that in common. Now, that means to some degree, all of them had a measure of faith. Uh, now, that measure of faith may have differed from one to the other, but they all had faith. So what does it take to have faith? Well, to have faith, you've got to have actually known something about the object you're putting your faith in. You can't put your faith in something you don't know anything about or you've never heard of. You know why these people, when Jesus approached them, they had some measure of hope, first of all, because this guy's approaching them. He says, does he not know what our condition is? You know, they had actually had to have heard something about this man from somewhere. They couldn't have trusted Jesus without having heard of him. Folks, does that tell us an awful lot? People cannot trust in Jesus unless they've heard of him. Somebody told these people about Jesus. Somebody told these people that there was a man who was known to have compassion on lepers and on people who were blind and on people who were hungry and on people, uh, with, people with all kinds of maladies. There's a person who actually has compassion. He actually loves outcasts. He loves spending time with people that other people would not want to spend time with. Folks, they had had to heard that message somewhere. Because when they heard and saw Jesus, they said, Lord, Master, have mercy on us. Well, folks, if they hadn't had some measure of faith, they would have never asked him that. They would have never seen in him even a little flicker of hope. But they did because they had heard him. Friends, let me tell you, today you have a Savior that is compassionate. You have a Savior whose heart is touched with your grief and your sorrow. There may be many people that know your plight and they don't care about what situation you are in, but I want to tell you something. Jesus 
cares. You have the same compassionate Lord that these men confronted in the time of their greatest need, and Jesus loves to be there meeting people's needs. Many of you may be aware of the, the great hymn, still maybe we sing sometime, that begins with a question, does Jesus care when my heart is pained? Too deeply for mirth or song, as the burdens press and the cares distress and the ways grow weary and long. Does that describe your situation sometime? Maybe sometime even now? Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into the deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? Does Jesus care? Many of you have experienced this. Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is it ought to him? Does he see? Does Jesus care? My friends, it doesn't take but one look at the cross of Christ for us to all be able to sing that chorus that answers these questions. Yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the nights are dreary, I know that my Savior cares. Folks, we know that he cares. These lepers had a confidence that Jesus was going to care about them and their confidence was not misplaced. And when you have a confidence in the midst of your deepest trials, your heaviest sorrows, you can be absolutely sure that Jesus cares. He is compassionate. You will find the same compassion in him that these lepers Found. They were all alike in that they had some measure of faith. They heard and they, every one of them appealed for help. Every one of them called out for help. That means they had some kind of faith. Folks, it wasn't a perfect faith, but it was in a perfect person. <laughs> and that's the main thing that counts. Our faith may be weak at times, but I'll tell you the person that you put your faith in when you put your faith in him is not weak. And what we're going to hear a response to is not our weak faith, but of his great power. Passionate, compassionate, powerful. You see, when, when they expressed their faith, folks, they were expressing that they were helpless. There is nothing we can do to help ourselves. Folks, a person is just one step from receiving a great blessing from God when they come to the place that they know they're in serious trouble and they can do nothing about it. I've heard somebody say one time, you know, the good thing about being at the end of your rope is when you're at the end of your rope, you're at the very beginning of his. And that is a great place to be. These people were humble. They humbled themselves before him. They had a humble faith. They understand, understood they were helpless in their faith. But I want you to notice something else all of them had in common. All of them were obedient. 
Notice the text. As soon as it says, go show yourself to the priests. What did they do? The text just immediately says they went and did it. It's like, well, you're supposed to go show yourself to the priest when, you're, when you have been healed, if you ever were healed. And they pronounce, So look at us. Why would we show ourselves to, uh, to the priest if we're covered with leprosy? He's going to ask us, what in the world are you doing here? But as soon as Jesus told them to go show themselves to the priest, that's exactly what they did. Folks, they had a faith that was a true faith that always displays and demonstrates itself this way. If you want to know the sign of true faith as opposed to a spurious faith, here it is. Genuine faith leads to obedience. Genuine faith leads to obedience. Okay. Now, folks, obedience, let's get very clear. Obedience does not save us. But obedience is a sign that we have the kind of faith that saves us. You see, when Jesus saves us and we put our confidence in him, our lives, our hearts are changed and that heart of stone is removed and a heart of flesh is put in there and his law is written on our hearts and we have a desire to obey him. Now, you know as well as I do that obedience is never perfect, but that desire is there that we did not have. It doesn't save us. Folks, the Bible has a category for people who are, are not saved and they're disobedient. It has a category for people who are saved and they have a life of genuine obedience. The, the Bible does not have a category for people who are saved and have no commitment, no desire, no inclination to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. That category does not exist. There are two roads, the scripture says. One of them is a road of, of uh, basically of holiness and obedience that leads to glory. There's another one that's, that's, uh, that's the, the narrow road. There's a wide road that leads to destruction, folks. There's not a third one. We are either people who Christ has changed our lives and our disposition is to be obedient or we are not in Christ. There is no category for a person who claims to be a Christian or who is a Christian and that person has no will, desire, or whatever else to have Jesus as Lord of their lives. These people were all obedient, and notice what else was true of all of them. All of them were healed. I'm not going to spend much time on this because I'm going to come back to it in just a moment. They were all equally healed. When they were going, can you imagine, could you imagine them going together and walking and, and saying, we're going to go to the priest, and I, it looks like everything's, and all of a sudden somebody looked at the other and said, wait a minute, all your spots are gone. <laughs> yeah. The guy said, I know it, and I, I, I've actually got blood circulating, it feels like in my hands, I'm getting feeling. Could you just imagine the thrill of that? And every one of them, all ten of them, were healed. Every one of, uh, of them were equally healed. There wasn't one of them that was more healed than the other. Jesus did all things well. He healed every one of them completely. And I want you to notice something else. All 10 of them were glad of it. 
All 10 of them thought, man, how life is now going to be different. I can go back to my wife. I can, I can hold my children again. I can go back to my place of employment and provide for my family. Could you imagine the joy that absolutely overwhelmed them when they understood at that very moment that they had been healed, every one of them was happy about it. I want you to notice another thing about them. Every one of them revealed the condition of their heart. All of them, by their response and their reaction, every one of them told something about the condition of their heart. One of them was thankful, and nine were not. Folks, our, our willingness, our desire to give thanks says an awful lot about what's going on in our hearts, our heart's condition. The scripture even says it's characteristic of the ungodly to be thankless. Folks, they were alike in a lot of ways. But I want you to see how they were different, okay? Uh, they, they differed in their response. Uh, notice, and it's obvious to all of us here, that one of them returned to Jesus and gave thanks. Now, the others could have said, now, wait a minute, but now we've got to, we, I'm just waiting. I can't wait to be home with my wife again and my children. Well, this man probably had a wife and children, too, <laughs> And, and, and it can't be, as I said a moment ago, that, well, one of them got more healed. He, he got more healed than the rest of them. No, not at that point. He hadn't been more healed than they, than they were. They were all equally in the same situation, but this one man was different. And so the question we should ask ourselves is what accounts for the difference? What really accounts for the difference? Well, obviously, as we've seen, it's not the circumstances. All of them were in the same circumstance. All of them had been lepers. All of them had been healed. So when we ask, okay, wait a minute, what's the difference in the nine and the one? You can't say, well, their circumstances were different. Friends, here's what this clearly tells us, and, and we know from experience as well. Being thankful is never based on the circumstances. Real gratitude is never born out of circumstances, okay? Because some of the people that have the least blessings are the most thankful people. And many people who have the greatest blessings are the least thankful. You know what that tells us? It tells us exactly what this passage is telling us. Gratitude is not born out of the circumstances we are in. We a lot of times deceive ourselves into thinking, well, I could be more thankful if I had this or if I had that. Folks, if we are not thankful for what God has given to us now, we are not going to be thankful when he gives us something else because thankfulness, as this shows us, does not grow out of the circumstances. The circumstances of these 10 were all the same. You see, the, the difference is nine of them were so absorbed in the gift that they lost sight of the giver. 
Now, folks, I could possibly understand that myself. You know, these people had thought they were going to die. They had thought they had never going to see their families again. They were never going to experience life as they, so I understand that. It's easy to have to be so blessed that we get our eyes on those blessings that we actually care more about the gifts than we do the giver. And I think one of the things we need to be reminded of this Thanksgiving season and let it remind us, be reminded of us the next, uh, the, all the way through the year is that we do not want to be so absorbed in what God has given to us that we lose sight of him. When I was a child, my mother had a, a boss lady named Lillian Mitchell. She always said it was the best friend she ever had in her whole life. Uh, she gave her her first job, and then they were friends together. And I, you know, I remember eight or ten times her coming over to the house. And I remember the first time she came, and I hope this strikes home with a lot of you, she brought a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> I never forgot Lillian Mitchell. But folks, here's the problem. The next time that I came home and I saw Ms. Mitchell's car parked in front of our house, I got so excited. You know what? Uh, and I went in and there were no donuts. And I was disappointed. And the next time she came, there were no donuts. And I was disappointed. And you know what dawned on me some years later as I reflected on that? I didn't care anything about Mrs. Mitchell. I cared about the donuts that she brought. And you say, well, isn't that sort of natural? Yes, but God calls us to go beyond what's natural and to live a supernatural life. You see, I was much more interested in what she could have brought than I was seeing her. Now, she's been passed away for many years and I have wished many times I could go back and tell her how thankful I was for the donuts and how thankful that I was that she was my mother's best friend. But I didn't think of any of that because I was so absorbed in what she brought that I lost sight of the one who brought it. Friends, that's why the scripture over and over tells us in speaking of God, seek my face, God says, Speak my, seek my face. He never says, seek my hand. Folks, most of us are seeking his hand. Lord, what have you got? What are you going to give me? I used to go out in the yard to spend some time with my dogs. You know what they were looking at? My hands. They wanted to know if I had something for them. You know what I wanted to say? You've got me. What else would you want? Well, friends, that's what God's saying to us. You've got me. And, and, and that's why he says, actually, when he says to Abraham, when he calls him in Abraham 12, in Genesis 12, 1, he says, I am your shield. I'll shield you. But he also said this, I am your reward. He said, Lord, what reward am I going to get for serving you? He says, me, because there's nothing greater I can give you than myself. Well, 
It wasn't the circumstances. The circumstances were same, the same for all of them. It's that one of them was not so absorbed in what he got that he forgot who gave it to him. But friends, I want you to see in, the, in this case as well that there's an additional blessing that is given. This man who comes back gets a special blessing. And we don't want to overlook that. You see, the nine people, we, we may not want to look at it this way, and particularly when we won't have to apply it to ourselves. Folks, nine people robbed Jesus that day. Nine people robbed him. Notice, can you just hear the pathos in Jesus' voice? When one person comes back and Jesus says, where's the others? <laughs> I mean, I did something for everybody. Uh, he deserved to be thanked and acknowledged uh, uh, for them. Where are they? Folks, when, when we fail to give, uh, uh, let's drop it down and talk about uh, people that provide something for us. Now, I hope when people do something for us, they don't do it just to get thanks. But folks, I'll tell you what, they ought to get thanks. <laughs> they ought to be given thanks for what they do for us. And if we don't, we rob them of the joy of hearing those words that we appreciate what they did for us. And folks, the same thing is true with Jesus. When we do not express our thanks to him, we rob him of the joy that he ought to be getting by the fact that he has given gifts to us. They robbed Jesus, but you know what else they did? They robbed themselves. Because you see, there's a, there's a joy that comes from telling somebody thank you for what they've done. You see, you, we can receive something from someone, and there's a measure of joy in that, but I want to tell you, that joy has not been made complete until we express that joy and that appreciation and that thanks to the person who did that for us. If we're not doing that, we're robbing ourselves of joy. If we're not giving Jesus thanks for what he's done for us, we're not only robbing him of his joy, we're robbing ourselves of ours. There is a joy that comes from expressing appreciation for what a person has done for us. They robbed themselves. They got robbed themselves of the joy of giving thanks, and they robbed themselves of the joy of developing a spirit of gratitude. Folks, you know how you develop a spirit of gratitude? By showing gratitude. <laughs> by, by, by expressing it. You see, we, we can actually develop a grateful heart. A, a heart in that sense is like a fire, a thankful heart. You know, you know how you can, you can put out a fire by smothering it? If, if, if you give it air and let it express itself, it just grows and grows. And the same thing's true with a human heart with thanksgiving. If that heart is, is th and thanksgiving is not expressed, it smothers that thanksgiving. It smothers that joyful heart. What allows that joyful heart to thrive and to flourish is when it has that privilege and takes that opportunity to express thanks. If you want to have a grateful heart, Start being grateful, and you will see your heart grow exponentially in thanksgiving. These people robbed themselves. They had a chance 
to grow in gratitude, and they rob themselves of that opportunity by not giving thanks. And, and there was the joy that they didn't have of a, of a humble heart. Folks, here's the thing that Thanksgiving does for us. It helps keep us humble. You see, if we are not thankful, here's what we begin to convince ourselves of. I've got these blessings and I deserve it. Now, most people would never say that. They'll never say, I deserve these things. But here's what happens. What happens when you lose something that you had and you get upset with God? Do I need to go any further? Then you know what happens? Then you get angry. You know why you get angry? Because you thought you deserved it. That's why. Because you thought, if you didn't get something else that you thought you should have got, folks, if we get upset with God for not having something, it's an indication that we thought we deserved it. You didn't do me right. When we are thankful people, we become humble people. More the people that God intended for us to be, and they missed the opportunity of it. But I also want you to notice this. He got some greater healing than the rest of them got. And I wish I could explain this to you in detail, but I can't. But I can tell you what we do know. Look at the text there where it says, Your faith, verse 19, has, this translation says, has made you well. Has made you well. Now, in the original language, that word is saved. It saved you. Folks, all of them were made well by they were made healed. That's another Greek word. All of them got that. He says to them, your faith that has demonstrated its depth in your obedience and your willingness, he says, actually, he's literally telling him, your faith saved you. Now, does that mean his sins forgiven the way we normally, or does it mean it gave you a greater insight of who Jesus is for the coming of his kingdom, and that's what Luke's getting at in his passage? I'm not sure. It's, real, it's difficult to translate that word. It means to, be, to save, but it can mean it just makes you well, and so there's no one translation that you can look at and say, that's exactly right. But what it does tell us is he got a measure of salvation that the others didn't get. He got a special blessing that Jesus gave to him that the others did not get. He got something more than physical healing. I wish I could tell you what all it was. I don't know. But I know he got more. He got more because he had a heart that was ready to receive more. And it demonstrated it in his returning and giving thanks. But you know, there, there's a lot of ways to, of, of not showing gratitude, you know. And all of us are guilty of it. Folks, let's, we, we just, the first, when we admit that, we're on the first steps of being able to do something more about it. We're just not as thankful on the whole as we ought to be. It ought to be something we're growing in. But you know, as we, as we move from the Thanksgiving season to the Christmas and Advent season, I never can get it off of my mind what is the greatest act of ingratitude that there is. There's a lot of forms of it. We saw some of it here, and we see some of it in our lives. But I hope this one's not in your life. The greatest act of ingratitude, John tells us about it. 
Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. Folks, to turn away God's greatest gift of salvation in Christ is the greatest act of ingratitude that there could possibly be. When we approach Thanksgiving, what, what, what do we do? You know, I, I remember my seminary professor, I can't remember which one it was, telling me one time, when you get through preaching a sermon, he said, pretend that somebody in the audience raised their hand. Okay, what do you want? And imagine the person said this, I heard everything you said. Now what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do in light of what you said? Well, folks, here's what we ought to do. And I could go on for a long, long time, and obviously I'm not going to do that. But what we can do is probably what most of us do on this point is when we have our formal times of prayer, that we get along with God, we've probably got one of those acrostics memorized that says I'm supposed to do this, I'm supposed to confess, I'm so, and one of them is I'm supposed to give thanks. So don't ever have a prayer in which you don't give thanks unto God. The second thing I would say is maybe it's a good practice to sometime have a prayer that you don't do anything except give God thanks. To where you just start the prayer by saying, God, I'm not even going to ask you for anything as great as my needs are right now. I just want to take this time in prayer to do nothing but thank you for what you've already done. That's how we can express thanksgiving. You know, we can also do it this way. It doesn't have to be a special time of prayer. One of the greatest ways to develop a heart of gratitude, a thankful heart, is to, I don't know what to call it, except just bless God and thank him for the moment, what happens in the moment. That you have a, an experience that you just stop and say, God, I want to thank you for that. I just want to thank you for that. Uh, folks, when you start to take a bite of food, do you realize God could have created you without taste buds? You say, well, then we couldn't have tasted our food. Well, why do you have to taste it? You don't have to taste it for it to nourish your body. Folks, that's just an extra blessing God gave to us. Folks, when, when you look outside and just see the, the trees change, say, is that not beautiful? God, I just want to thank you for that. When you get to have a conversation with a friend and that friend walks off, you can say, God, thank you for that. You know, Nehemiah prayed just a, a, a very quick prayer. Now, he prayed it out of a real need right quick. He didn't have time to have a long prayer. You don't have to have a long prayer. You can just stop and just in a moment after getting a, a blessing from God and just say, Lord, I just thank you for that. Thank you for that little conversation I had with that person. Uh, thank you for that expression of gratitude somebody actually showed to me. Folks, we can develop a thankful heart when we realize that doing good to other people actually provides them an opportunity to be thankful and for them to grow. That ought to inspire us and encourage us to do. You see, people do good things for us and we give thanks for it. But, but folks, when we do good for other people, it gives them the opportunity to be thankful. It gives them an opportunity to grow in grace. And you know, it tells us something else. A, a heart of attitude of gratitude, that attitude is 
to use the blessings that God gives to us in a way that glorifies him. You know, I would imagine, even though the text does not say this, I, I can't help but believe that that leper, when he started to walk away and he saw his healed body, that he just devoted himself to say and said, I'm going to do the right thing with my body the rest of my life. I'm going to devote this body to God that he gave to me afresh and anew. Folks, there's a sense in which God gives you your body afresh and anew every morning when you get out of the bed. And that's a good time just to say, Lord, my body that you gave to me is a gift, and I don't want to use that gift in any way that dishonors you, but I want to use every blessing that you give to me because I am so thankful for it. I want to use it in a way that pleases you and never in a way that dishonors you as the great giver. Folks, let's be thankful people. This Thanksgiving, folks, Thanksgiving's not a day, okay? Thanksgiving's an attitude. Thanksgiving's a way of life. But particularly in this Thanksgiving season, let's reinforce, let's recommit ourselves to be thankful people and to ask God to help us to be more and more thankful, to have a heart that is a more of a robust gratitude than we have ever had before. And I think that'll be pleasing to him. And I think that'll bring joy to him. Let's stand together. <clears throat> Father, we thank you. We have so much for which to be thankful. Lord, we, we are reminded of the song of counting our many blessings. And Lord, when we do, we see how many we have. Lord, it just seems like the more we enumerate those blessings in our minds, that the more of them we realize that are there. Lord, forgive us for not being people that are thankful as we ought to be. But Lord, we don't want just forgiveness for not being thankful. We want inspiration from you and empowerment from you to help us to be more thankful that we don't rob you of the glory that comes when we express thanksgiving. Lord, that we don't rob ourselves of the various ways in which we can do so by failing to be people of gratitude. And then, Lord, we would be amiss if we didn't take just a moment to say, Lord, thank you for giving us so much for which we are to be thankful. Lord, thank you for every gift that you give to us Every expression, some of them apparently small tokens of your love, all the way to that greatest gift that you gave us in Christ. Lord, help us to be so thankful that our hearts then are completely devoted to the one who loved us. And he loved us so much that he gave. He gave himself for us. And Lord, for that, we're eternally grateful in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Edwards Road Baptist Church. We hope you are meaningfully involved in a local church, but if you aren't, we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings as we worship God and hear from His Word together. You can find more information about our church by visiting our website at edwardsroad.org.